You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. My name's Chad Manbeck. I'm a pastor in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, hung my hat here for a little season, and uh, I have two little boys, and I wouldn't go into my whole story because that would be a waste of the service. Uh, but there is a, a special, special person that kind of makes this guy tick, and, uh, and she's here, and, and her name is Jenna, and I think she's got to be, I have to know where she is, I can't function. So she's back in the back right there. Uh, there put your hand up, baby. Um, so that is, that's my girl, and um, man, if you know me, then uh, you know the best thing about me is right back there, and uh, she's just an awesome woman and raises our kids really well, and it's just so fun to be here, uh, be back here. It's surreal. Uh, we got off the plane at like midnight. We flew in Thursday night, and I was at In-N-Out by one o'clock in the morning, because uh, that's what you do when you're back in California, because uh, we don't have one. So uh, I was straight to In-N-Out and then straight to bed. Uh, but man, let's dive in. Uh, I want to pray here in a few minutes, but I want to set you up on the journey that we're going to take together, and it's going to be a fun one. I think God has something really special for you today. Uh, I believe that. I prayed for you and, and prayed for me that God would rock my world as well. Uh, I think this series is awesome. Uh, I think when you're talking about things like an, an individual like God, uh, wrapping our minds around the fact that he never changes when everything in our life changes, right? I mean, we are just changing individuals. Our families change, our society changes, our government changes, right? Uh, things change all the time. And we have this God who we serve, if you're a Christ follower, who just is like, I'm consistent, man. I'm never going to alter. I'm never going to change. And so what is so important through this series is that somehow, some way, you would be able to try and grasp the, the mega size of that and then see how that fact of him being unchanging affects so many other things in your life. And one of those things we're going to talk about today, the song we just sung, is perfect love. It's how God's unchanging, you know, part of who he is, is leads him to have an unchanging love and the only thing that really can affect that is us. And, and we want to see how we can, man, just see that that love never gets changed. It never gets affected, uh, even when we go through some of life's storms. There's a quote that I love. There's a writer. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, A.W. Tozer. Uh, some of you have been around a long time. I'm an A.W. Tozer fan. Uh, there's a book called Knowledge of the Holy. It's one of those books that you'll read 20 times and you still won't get it. Uh, and so I'm on like time three. I bring it with me everywhere I go. I read a chapter every so often. He says this quote, and I think it is so key when it comes to church, leadership, your marriage, you, your parenting, uh, how you think. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, what comes into your mind when I say God. So I say God and you think Sure, cheater, right? Yes, you're right, right? Amen, right? But what comes into your mind? And what comes into my mind? When we think about God, and, he, and T.W. Tozer says, that is the most important thing about you. When it comes to Sun Grove Church, you know what Sun Grove Church thinks about God is the most important thing about it. It's the backdrop to everything that you do. It's the reason behind everything you do. If you believe as a church that God is an impossible doing God, that there's nothing, there's no limit to what he can do, then the sky is the limit for your church. But if there are things, if there are places, if there's ministries, if there's regions of the world that you don't believe you can't reach, they're just unreachable, then that is what you think of God. There's a limitation. 
And so I, I wanted to bring some pictures, and, and, and these will be fun, but these are some of the ways that people think about God, okay? And the first one's going to be kind of a snapshot into my life. I, I'll let you in a little bit, okay? The first one is this picture of, of a hand, and this is the hand of God as I view it. Sometimes when I have a wrong thought of God, when I think about God, the first thing that comes into my mind is that God, you see the city below it there, right, in the shadow, is like God has this massive hand of power, and it's over me kind of all the time. And it's kind of waiting. And sometimes it waits for good, but it's really waiting for me to mess up. It's really waiting for me to do something wrong. It's really waiting for me to stumble. And then that handle, boom, chat, bad, no. And that is sometimes, unfortunately for me, and something I work through, is my first thing that comes to my mind when I think God is taskmaster, master. You know, king, big, in control, kind of scary. Some of us, we have the reverse of that, and we have this child in Jesus <laughs> This picture is really funny to me. Some of the ladies went, oh, uh, but I think it's funny. Um, because, you, you know, this is, if this is your picture of, of God, this is the first thing that comes into your mind, then you see a very meek and mild Jesus. You see a very, uh, you see the opposite of the first picture. You come to Jesus, and Jesus is very safe for you. He's very comforting for you. He's sitting there with that child, and He's pointing at the little flower, and you and Jesus have your moments. And like, oh, look at the lilies, Chad, aren't they pretty? I made those for you. No one else, but just you. And, and that's your perception of God, and that's great. But then there's other things that you're missing out on because of who God is. The third one is kind of a man Jesus, right? Uh, so check that out if that's what you think of God. Um, you know, the thing that perplexes me about this picture is why does Satan get all the muscles? I don't understand that. Look at Satan. He's ripped. I mean, he's chiseled in stone, and Jesus has got a robe on. It's like all loose, you know? Like, I'm putting Jesus in a shirt too small for him, and he's, like, busting out of it. But this is some of, our, you know, some of our, uh, us men. Like, we need this Jesus. We need CrossFit Jesus. We need, like, UFC Jesus, Conor McGregor Jesus. We need, like, dominate Satan. Like, that's how he is. And, and you see even churches that have Jesus that way. I mean, they're commanding Satan as if they have that kind of power in and of themselves, and their perception of Jesus is he's here to dominate, rule the world. One of the things that happened when Jesus came the first time was they thought he was going to take over, and they waited for a lion, and they got a lamb. They thought the lion's going to come, and he's going to arm wrestle Satan, and it's going to be over, and Rome's going to be out, and we're going to sit on thrones, and he came as this lamb, and their first thing that came to their mind when they thought God didn't enable them to receive the God that came. And then lastly, this is my favorite Jesus. <laughs> it's Morgan Freeman Jesus, right? I'm God. And for a lot of us, some of, you know, this is Jesus. Like, I'm super cool, and I'm laid back, and I kind of don't care what, how you live your life, and you'll only pray to me when you need something, and that's totally good, because I'm here for you, I got a great voice, because uh, I'm Morgan Freeman, and like, you know, don't you want Morgan Freeman to like narrate your life? Uh, and, and, and just Morgan Freeman, Jesus. And you can see how that can drastically affect how you teach your children about God, how your church leads with God. And so what I want to do today, and what I want to allow Scripture to do more importantly, 
is I want us to take, take this little journey where we figure out, man, number one, and, and this will be on your study sheet, the first thing we're going to look at is God is truly unchanging. He's an unchanging God. And then from there, I want us to learn that God's love is unchanging. That because of one, it makes the other. And so we'll set up this kind of equation where we have unchanging God on one side and we'll have unchanging love on the other, but then there's, there's this equal sign in the middle. And what happens a lot of times for us is, this is what I call the you factor, is we start to believe we sometimes come through these journeys where we think we can affect one or the other. What I do in my life can affect God being unchanging, or what I do in my life can affect his love. And it totally messes up who God is and what Matt Lingo is singing about, the perfect love of God. And so I want to take you on that journey today. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into Scripture today. Uh, Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this church, what it has meant to me in the past. Uh, many of these people would have no idea the love of God that this place has shown to my family um, in years past, this place was here for us when we had nowhere to go and uh, the doors were open and I was allowed to worship here and serve here and be your child here. And so forever, uh, God, this place is meaningful to me and I pray that you would bless it. And I pray today that you would hide me behind your cross. Please, Jesus, show us that your love, your person is unaltered by our shortcomings, that nothing we can do can change an ounce of who you are. I love you, Jesus, so much. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so unchanging God. The first thing we need to learn about is what does this word unchanging mean when it comes to God? And here's what it means. It means that God never differs from himself. No time ever will you go to scripture and see that God grows or develops himself in any way. And that makes him totally different from everything else we're used to, right? Like our children grow and develop, and sometimes they grow and develop good, and sometimes they grow and develop bad. Like my son, my 10-year-old son, he's decided to grow up to where he needs to go to the salon to get his hair done, okay? So a man-back rule is kind of how we run our house, is the boys get their hair shaved in the garage by mama for free. Like, it's great. And when you're in ministry, for free equals really good. Right, And so we go in there, we open the garage door, mama comes out, done, you look great, right? And that's how I got looking like this. Now Luke, the 10-year-old, has decided that he's going to, what God doesn't do, is develop and grow to where his hair needs to be pretty, okay? And so there's money for gel, and there's money for sprays, and there's money for the salon visit. And I just don't understand where my little boy went. And they grow and develop, right? And sometimes it costs money and all those kind of things. God is never that way. No matter what in our life changes, no matter how the community changes, no matter how nature changes, no matter how our children change, no matter how our society changes, God never develops and he never grows because he's completely unchanging and full. He is who he is. He's Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, done. And Jehovah. And so if we look at letter A, it's God cannot change for the better. God cannot change for the better. And I think logically we know this. We understand this. We can totally wrap our minds around the fact, yeah, I get it. God never changes for the better. But sometimes it feels as if God is better. You get a big bonus. God's better today than he was yesterday. You lose some weight. This year's already going better. God is answering prayer. And then you get fat. 
I was like, God doesn't like me. And everywhere I turn, there's an in and out. And God is, the whole time, never better than what he is right now. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, a beautiful verse of scripture describing God, says there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. We know that like rocks can change. You have the weather come down, they change the rocks, they change formations, things like that, right? And all that kind of stuff can happen. God is a rock that does not alter. He never gets shinier. He never gets better. He never gets more good. He just is 100% as good as he can get, and which is perfect. And so for us, though, sometimes life deals us a, a blow or gives us a blessing, and we use the phrase, man, God is good. You know, you get that promotion, God is good. You almost never hear somebody find out terrible news and say God is good, right? It just doesn't go together. But God is trying to teach us, I'm unchanging, I'm as better as I'm ever going to get, and there's no one like me, and that's what sets me apart. That's why you come, if you're wondering, why am I even here? You are here at church today. Let me give you this. I didn't give this the first service. Because there is a God that's like no one else. That's why you worship. You don't sing like that to your children, right? If you did, they'd be a train wreck when they got older. They'd think they're king whatever, <laughs> right? You don't do that. But you come here because there's no one like God. Some of you came ready to give in the offering because there's no one like God and I trust him with everything I have. Some of you are praying for someone to get saved in the service today because you know there's no one like God and he cannot get any better. Revelation 4.8, there's this beautiful scene. If you've never read the book of Revelation, I challenge you to go dive into that and get a view of what heaven's like on a day-to-day -day basis. There's these angels that all their job is, the reason they were created, is to shout back and forth to one another about an unchanging God. The reason they, have to, they can say the same thing day and night for all eternity is because the object of what they're saying it to never changes. And so they say in Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They never have to change that. God never wakes up and has a bad day and they're like, okay, we'll say it twice instead of three times today. It never happens. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and it is to come. And he says, man, who I was... So we can go back, and that's why the Old Testament is just as valuable as the New. Okay, and sometimes we miss that. We can go back to what was and say, that God is the same God. My Bible just happens to be open to the book of Esther. The God of Esther is the same God that I serve. He's the same God you serve. He's the same loving God. We can go to what is, which is God currently, right now, where we sit, ruling and reigning over this planet. So how does that, why is that important? Well, we can look at our politics. We can look at, right, big thing right now. We can look at our country. We can look at the world. We can look at, there was a huge earthquake that I heard this morning as I was here, 7.4, right, or something like that. And we can see all that turmoil and we start to get that last days kind of feeling and all that kind of stuff. And we can say, you know what? God was, God is. No bit better or different. And God will be the same. He will be. I will change. Your head pastor will change and grow. Your wife or husband will change and grow. Your children will change and grow. They will disappoint you. They will love you. They will exceed your expectations at times. God never falls into that category because he just is and was, and he's always holy, holy, holy. Now, the other side of that is God cannot change for the worse. God is, cannot, cannot change for the worse. 
and we definitely experience this many, many times, is that sometimes it just feels like God just changed teams. Okay, and we experienced this in Kansas City, and this is how we experienced it. We won the World Series. I, I figured out that wherever me and my family move wins the World Series, and I've got data to prove it. When I moved here, the San Francisco Giants, of course, it was an even year, so you win, uh, but they won the World Series the very year I moved here. We moved to Kansas City, they went to the World Series, and then they won it the next year. Okay, so if you've got a city you want to win, there's a price, and we will move there uh, for that. But there was a guy named Ben Zobrist. Anybody know who Ben Zobrist is? Big baseball fan, you'd have to be out here to know who Ben Zobrist is. He played for Kansas City Royals. He helped us win, an, win a World Series championship, first one in 28 years, something like that. City was nuts. And then he got a big deal playing with the Chicago Cubs. Now, if I'm any Major League Baseball team right now, I'm hiring Ben Zobrist because he brings titles. He brings titles. Like wherever he goes, it seems like they thrive, and we got worse. We didn't even make the playoffs this year. So Ben Zobrist, unlike God, made us worse. He made us worse. But God is like, no matter what happens, I cannot change for the worse. Unlike your sports team, unlike this, unlike that, like your marriage, there'll be days where it's better. And there'll be days where it's worse. There will, no matter how much you love them. That wrong side of the bed thing is real. It really is. But God cannot change for the worse. And you may be thinking, oh, Chad, you can't understand what I'm going through. You just don't know how much worse God has got. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, my brother or sister, if you're feeling that way, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If cancer hit you yesterday, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't make it easier, but you can know that he isn't worse than he was the day before when you were healthy. Maybe you lost a loved one recently. I've seemed to be surrounded by that a lot lately. A lot of friends of mine losing parents and family members. It's so hard to remember that God is not worse than he was the day before when they were alive. Maybe you had an event happen in your family that you're like, that is such a travesty. It's so wrong what they did to me. God is not worse. He is not worse. Malachi 3.6, one of those verses you can memorize, right? I'm a, I'm a short verse memory guy. So like Jesus wept. Boop, got one. Got one. How many you got? I got one. Jesus wept, right? You can add Malachi 3.6 to your list. Check it out. I, the Lord, do not change. Boom. Good, that's it, that's all you got. I, the Lord, do not change. But in those few words is incredible power when it comes to how you think about God, when it comes to your daily life, when you got bills that you can't pay, that you can wake up and look at that checkbook, you can get on your knees and you can say, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. You cannot be worse, God, because the scripture says you do not change. Psalm 55, 19 says, God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change and I love it when God just repeats himself over and over and over and it's like he's trying to turn the volume up in our life to say hey do you get it Sungrove I don't change I don't change I don't change and we see in churches right stuff in church changes it's amazing how God can get worse when stuff in church changes 
You come in and they change the color of the carpet. I ain't going to this church no more. I did. I'm on the carpet committee, which is a real thing. Not here, I don't think. You don't even have carpet. And I did not approve that purple. That is horrible. I don't care that it speaks to the royal, you know, kingship of Jesus. I did not approve that. I'm leaving. And you want to sit back and think like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> did God change with the carpet? Did God change with the staff change? Did God change with that song you don't like? Or that drums or that guitar? There's people that leave churches and God is still the same. And it has nothing to do with doctrine or the important things of Jesus. It just has to do with the fact that we forgot that God is enthroned of old and he does not change. And he's in complete control. James 1.17, I know your pastor shared this with you a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to hit it again. I think it's one of the most beautiful verses of Scripture, and there's so many times when we read it, we should absolutely say amen, and we should instantly pray and thank God for this verse. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Is that not true? There's some of you men, maybe not all you men, I don't want to speak for anybody. Like, I rolled over this morning, I looked at her, and every good and perfect gift comes from above. I'm like, I outkicked my coverage. Bad. <laughs> she gonna wake up, she gonna roll over, and she won't agree with this verse. <laughs> but that girl has got me. I'm like, man, what a marriage. What a life. I stand up here. You know, a lot of pastors leave churches and never come back because it was so ugly. I can stand here in love with this church. Because every good and perfect gift is from above. Think about your life. Aren't you so glad he cannot change for the worse? He goes on and says, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And so we got it, right? God is unchanging. But then we've got this other side of unchanging love. Unchanging love. Jeremiah 31.3 speaks of this probably like no other verse for me in Scripture. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, and he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I love that word throughout Scripture. If you want to have a fun time, just study out everlasting in the Bible, man. There's no way you won't smile. You will love your day if you just study out the ways that God is everlasting in his relationship with you. He has an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. This word everlasting, I want to dive into it for a second. It's, it means no amount of rejection can cause it to cease. No amount of rejection can cause it to cease. I didn't get saved. I didn't give my life to Jesus Christ. I didn't become a Christ follower until I was almost 22 years old. All right, I was 22 years old. I didn't grow up in church. I never went to church. The golf course was our church. Like, you know, we said God's name all the time, and it was very inappropriate. Uh, but my dad still doesn't go to church, and we just didn't do church. And so I got saved way later in life. And I, I remember when I got saved, and I remember starting learning things about God. And you know what I was thankful for? Everlasting love. I was thankful that no matter how many times I rejected God with my life, it never ceased. He kept pursuing. There's some of you today that are in this service God is pursuing you right now with his everlasting love, and you know it. And you keep, and he's not stopping. The fact that you're in this room shows that he's not stopping, that he won't stop. 
because it won't cease no matter how many times you turn him away. And then he goes into this unfailing kindness, which is so beautiful. And he says, no amount of opposition can cause it to fall short. No amount, no amount of opposition can cause his unfailing kindness to be applied to my life. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see this throughout Scripture, and I want to cruise through some of them. Just some of the biblical, what I call biblical failures. I don't even like that word because these are really like superstars of the faith. But we know so many of their failures. And they are a testament to an everlasting love and an unfailing kindness. They're a testament that that never changes. Just look at some of them with me. On your your sheet there, letter A is going to be Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Like, they started this train wreck, right? Like, they started it. We blame so many people for the things wrong in this earth. Like, I don't know why I don't wake up sometimes and be like, really, Adam? Thanks, dog. I mean, how good was that fruit, really? Whether it was a pomegranate or banana or apple or whatever you want to think it was, it couldn't have been that good, right, to be in the mess we're in. And there they are. They're in the garden, Genesis 3, and they've sinned, and him and his wife have rejected God. And you would think, man, this is where unchanging love does have a change. This is the place. They even run from their creator. They're hiding. They're so ashamed. And what God does is he comes, and it says actually in the verse, at the end of chapter 3, it says they made for them garments of skins. It says that Jesus came to Adam and Eve, and he made for them garments of skins to cover up their nakedness. Okay, What he made for us was Jesus on the cross to cover up our nakedness that sin had left us in. But back in, the, in Genesis, God made for them garments of sin. And I often wondered the first time I read it, because the first time I read the Bible was when I was, in the 20, when I was in my 20s. And I didn't know Genesis was the first book. I was truly ignorant. And I read it, and I'm like, where did God get the clothes? I mean, really, it's a good question, right? I mean, there's no, you know, there's not an express around the corner in the garden. Like, where did he score those digs? And so I go over to Proverbs 27, 26, and there's this beautiful verse. And it says, the lambs will provide you with clothing. Now, if you've been around the block a little while, that brings up John chapter 1 in your brain real fast. And you remember a bunch of dudes looking and saying, behold the what? Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then I start to get it. God in an unfailing love, right there in the garden, takes a lamb. Because his creation needed covered. And the first lamb killed as sacrifice is right there in the garden. And it's clear as day. And God is shouting to us, it's everlasting. It's everlasting. You can't stop it. You can't limit it. Adam and Eve did exactly the opposite of what I told them to do. Maybe you're in the room this morning. I've done exactly the opposite of what God's told me to do my whole entire life. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. Moses. Moses. Oh, Moses. Mo, Mo, Mo. Right? Mo killed a dude. Mo was a stutterer. Mo was scared. Mo didn't want to go back and free Israel. Right? If we had a Moses in our church, like my church, and they kept like denying wanting to do something. Man, we want you to do this. We want you to help us with this. No, man, no, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I stutter. We would move on and go find someone else. 
We just would. Man, we gotta get the mission done. We don't have time to wait. We've prayed long enough. Let's go, 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 right? We would just power through it, right? We gotta, we gotta get it done. Moses did all that stuff, and I want you to check out what God said about Moses in Deuteronomy 34. Check this un- everlasting love out. Since then, no prophet has, a, has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his officials and to the whole land. For no one, check that out, no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Unbelievable to me. Did you know in Deuteronomy there's an incredible case, and I agree with it, that God himself buried Moses. God buried Moses. That's awesome. He's just hanging out like, all right, I'm going to bury him and no one's going to know where it's at. Because Moses was a prophet like no one else. He was a murderer, had a stuttering problem, was filled with fear. And God is screaming out to, to you again. It's everlasting. I'm not done with you. I'm not done. Whatever you've done, it's unfailing kindness. Go to David, right? David's so easy to pick on, right? David, like, wrote his own failure, you know, biography, right? And we get past the he tackled lions and bears and tigers and all that, and, you know, like, that's cool. And he he beat Goliath, and then it starts to trickle off. And he had a guy killed, and he had an affair, and he tried to hide it, and prophet Nathan calls him out on it, and all that kind of stuff. Check out what Acts 13, 22 says about David. If we recounted David's life, if he was a present-day dude, you know, I think you know we don't write this, right? If you knew a guy who was a murdering adulterer and a liar and a bad father, after removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse. He's a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Unbelievable to me. I have tried for 17 years of my Christian life since I've been walking with Jesus to be a man after God's own heart. And the first person that tells me I can't be is me. I'm the hardest on me. Because I forget that David could experience an everlasting love. Why can't I? Why can't you be a woman after God's own heart? Why? Well, I used to cut myself. I still have a drug problem. I've been married three times. I'm on my fourth, getting ready to be another divorce. My kids hate me. What about David? You can still have a heart after God because his everlasting love and his unfailing kindness. We got Esther, one of my most beautiful, just beautiful women in the whole of Scripture and human history. Do you know Esther was an orphan slave girl who saved a nation? She was an orphan slave whose uncle was her dad, and she became the queen and saved an entire group of people. And the people she saved, by the way, gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have the book of Esther, Israel dies and we have no Jesus. And Esther walked into a king and said, if I perish, I perish. I don't know if God's love is everlasting. And God said, yes, it is. Because you're not an orphan slave girl to me. You're not. 
You're a daughter of the Most High God. We go on to Paul, Acts 20, 24. Somebody tell me, what did Paul do wrong? <laughs> you like, pick one, right? What did Paul do? Give me the main one. He killed Christians, right? Killed Christians. There'll be a quiz later. We'll work on it. All right? He killed Christians. Paul would walk in this room as Saul, and he would arrest us. He would drag us down Laguna Boulevard, and they would throw us in prison, and a lot of us would be killed or stoned or you know, stuck in prison forever as slaves. And know what he did while he's doing it? I'm doing it for God. That was Paul. He killed people like us. For those of us in the room that claim the name of Jesus. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The murdering Paul. The horrible leader. Becomes a person with a mission to make Christians. To fish for men. To plant churches writes half of our New Testament. And we sit sometimes, and you know you do it too. Or I'm alone on an island as the worst Christian ever, and I hope not, right? And we sit and think, man, God's changed. God doesn't love me like he used to. Man, I just can't get things straight. I go to church, and then I miss six weeks, and then I go back, and I go to CR for a week and then I don't go and I'm just hopeless. And God is shouting from the rooftops, everlasting, everlasting, everlasting. And I want to give you a verse that I feel like it spoke to a young man this morning who found me after uh, service and I hope it will speak to you too. Isaiah 49, 14. It's one of my favorite verses that encourages me when I start to think that I'm without hope. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And if you haven't felt that way, you probably will eventually. That you will have seasons in life where you just feel like, Lord Jesus did. You remember what he cries out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Forsaken me. And I'm not better than Jesus. So I know I feel that way. And he goes on and he says, and God responds. God's like, hey, Sun Grove, you think I've forgotten you? You think I've forgotten you? You think, man, you're too far, you can't get saved? You think you can't become a Christian? You think you can't live an abundant Christian life? You think you can't experience all that God has for you in this life? He said, God responds and says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? He says, would a mother really do that? And I know what I thought when I read it. Yeah, it happens. It's horrible. Mothers do forget their children here. Check out what God says. He says, though she may forget, even though that may happen, even though that seems so catastrophic and never should happen, even if it does, I will not forget you. And you know what God's telling you? That little baby nursing on that mother, you are dearer to me than that. You are dearer to me than that. And he goes on, and this is incredible. He says, see, engraved you on the palms of my hands did you know that when he died on the cross those scars are forever we will see them 
they will be there. And he knows, he, he says in Isaiah, he says, you know what you should see when you see the holes? You. Your name engraved right there. Because I did it. Because I everlasting love you. And a mother may forget her child, but I will never forget you, no matter how many biblical failures you might have done. And so we come to this crossroads. Okay, God is unchanging. Got it. God's love is unchanging. Got it. But I change. And when I change, sometimes it affects that or it affects this. And I call it, man, the perfect equal sign. You'll notice on your study sheet at the top there, it says unchanging God equals an unchanging love. And what we do so many times, and I do it too with you, brothers and sisters, is I come and I nullify the equal sign. I'm like, yeah, he's unchanging. Yeah, his unlove is unchanging. But what I am or what I just did, it doesn't equal each other today. It doesn't equal each other right now. And there's this verse in Scripture in Romans 8.35. It'll be on your screen. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I've never taken a second and answered it before. You know, sometimes you read Scripture and you're like, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it goes on. So tribulation or peril, or, you know, you just read right on. Uh, two weeks ago when I started studying for this message and, and finished it on Monday last week, I stopped at the question mark. And I said, Chad, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know what my answer was? Me. For many of us, oftentimes, we separate ourselves from the love of God. If you are in this room this morning and you are not a Christ follower, you've never, you, you know about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, you know that Jesus died for your sin, you know that he rose the third day to have victory, but you've never applied that to your life. You've never taken the moment, the moment that it takes to say, Jesus, my life is yours. You know who limits or separates you from the love of Christ? You. Nobody else. If you're in the room and you're a Christ follower, but you're far from God because you're letting stuff separate you from the love of Christ, I'll give you a list of them. Fear separates from the love of Christ. Failure separates from the love of Christ. Hurts can separate us from the love of Christ. Habitual sins, that's a huge one, right? You sin, the same thing you've always done. You wake up, God, I'll never do it again. Love with Jesus for 24 hours, you do it again. And it's hard to say, unchanging God, unchanging love. Because I keep doing the same trash over and over. And either he doesn't love me the way he was, or he's not strong enough to help me through it, or blah, 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 blah. Right? We separate ourselves from the love of God. Depression and anxiety, huge. The rise of social media has caused the rise of depression and anxiety. It's not even arguable. And you know why? Because we need relationship connection so bad and you can't find it through a screen. You can't. That's why this is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. This is the picture I should be taking and putting on Snapface or Instachat, right? <laughs> Whatever they are, right? The high schoolers are like, good one. I know what they are, right? Because this is gorgeous. Because you know what? You actually talk to each other. You saw real people today. Like, you may actually like them, not like them, you know? But depression and anxiety come because we've secluded ourselves off and we think, you know what? 
It's just not an everlasting love because I never can get out of this trench of sadness. Bitterness is horrible, by the way. It's horrible. It's my least favorite of all sins. Because whoever or whatever you're bitter against does not suffer the incredible harm you're hurting yourself with. It's horrible. And it keeps us from the love of God. Moral failures, marriage failures, parenting failures, lack of success, money problems, addictions, and denial of Jesus all can separate us from the love of Christ. Not because they and them themselves can, we allow them to. And so I wonder, I have a question for you. And it's going to come from Exodus 3.11. Do you relate with Moses? Here's what I mean by that. In Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses, who is a fearful stuttering murderer and he knows it and he says i want you to go and i want you to free an entire country from slavery you're going to get persecuted it's going to be hard i'm going to part a sea you're going to struggle with that and here's what moses said to him and i think a lot of us say this to god right now who am i that i should go who am i that I should go. There's some of you in this room that know that God is calling you to the mission field, that God is calling you to free sex slaves in India, and you keep saying, who am I that I should go? You know who you are? Someone underneath everlasting love. Someone underneath unfailing kindness. Someone who God is calling and you keep pushing the love of Christ away. Some of you are sitting here now and know, I know I need. Today is the day I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. You know it's today because God's word says today is the day of salvation. You know today I should get saved and after the service I should go over there because a free Bible is cool. You know, I'm going to take one when I leave um, and, and get a free Bible and pray with someone and give my life to Jesus and start this journey with an everlasting God and, and, and unchanging God and unchanging love. And But you're thinking, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should experience God's love? Who am I that, I that God would hear my voice even when I call upon him? You know, there's another dude in scripture, and this is where we'll finish, who struggled with the same thing. His name was Peter. In John chapter 21, Peter comes to the place where he's denied God three times. Three times he denied Jesus Christ. And a lot of you know the story. And when you deny God, you know what you go back to? What you knew beforehand. So you know what Jesus, or Peter does? He goes back and he fishes. Because that's what he knew. If you walk out of the room today denying Jesus, even though you know you should respond to the gospel and get saved, you're going to go right back to what you know. Right back to the habitual sin. Right back to the depression. Right back to the struggle. Right back to your job. Right back to normal life on Monday. If you're a Christian in here and you're just, you hear the word of God and you need to reconcile some things, you need to do some things and you don't, you're going to go right back to what you knew before. And I will do the same. But Jesus comes to Peter because he doesn't want Peter to do that, and he says something to him. And on your sheet there, if you're keeping notes, I want you to put your name in the three blanks. Because I believe that God is asking each one of us, Chad, do you love me? Chad, do you love me? I've already proven to you that I'm unchanging. I've already proven to you that my love is unchanging. I've already proven to you that my love is everlasting. And I know you've got struggles and shortcomings and hang-ups and all this kind of stuff. But I'm asking you, Chad, do you love me? And I'm asking again, Chad, do you love me? And you write your name in the third one. Man, what's, 
do I love him? Do I love Jesus Christ? I'm a Christ follower, but do I love Jesus? And I want to ask you today, and we're going to do this. We did in the first service, and we're going to keep it going. If you do, let's do what Peter did. You know what Peter did in response? He said, oh, Lord, you know I do. Oh, Lord, you know I do. Now, I can't walk around and do that with 400 people because we're going to be here till midday, right? But if you love Jesus Christ, and you're a Christ follower, if you don't know Jesus, just stay where you're at. But if you love Jesus, you would stand with me today. If you love Jesus, will you stand up? If you know for sure that, man, I wrote my name in, and my answer to the question is yes. All right, this church ain't bad. It's pretty good. I like it. You've just stood up and you've answered with Peter. You know what? I do have hurts and hang-ups and all these kind of things. But you know what? I do love you. I'm telling you back, I love you. Now, if you're in the room and you've never responded to an unchanging God and you know You've rejected him Sunday after Sunday. you got a guy at work or a girl at work that gives you the gospel all the time, and you never respond. You know today, you may be standing. You may stand because everyone else stood, and you're like, okay, that's what they're supposed to do at church. But you know in your heart you don't know Christ. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. Will you respond to the everlasting love of God today will you lay aside like Moses did and David did and Esther did all your failure and today say Jesus and I would ask you if you're feeling that in your heart would you pray after me right now Jesus I love you. And for the first time, I'm giving my life to you and I'm no longer afraid to do it. Today, I believe the gospel and I ask you to cover my sin with your everlasting love. If you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I know today God saved me from my sin. Would you raise your hand for me? Amen. Another one. Brother, I see you. Brother in the back, I see you. Brother right here on the left, amen. You've been tracking all the morning. I knew God was working. Praise God, church, man, for these six, seven people, eight people that have gotten saved this morning. I would ask you if this morning you did pray that prayer, if you said today is a day I want to give my life to Jesus, there's a little station over here with a free Bible, and I would love to you know, hear your prayers and meet you. I'll be over there too. Just walk right over there. Have the courage to come say hi and say, man, Jesus changed my life today. I gave my life to Christ. I'm forever on the same side as the unchanging God. I'd love to meet you. And for those of you who stood up and said, man, I love Jesus, I would challenge you this week, walk like it. Live like it. And believe that every time you fail, there's an everlasting, unfailing love for you. God, I love you. I praise you. And what we just experienced, this is love. This is love, God. 
you are love. And I pray you'd hear our voices as we sing that one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.